Hi, everyone. Welcome to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Rungi, and today I'm here with Anila Idnani, who is co-founder of HabitAware, a company dedicated to helping people with body-focused repetitive disorder, like hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting. We'll get more into that in a little bit about what that is. And they make a smart bracelet called Keen that helps control that unwanted repetitive behavior. It's really cool. They've been incredibly successful. They've won the Minnesota Cup, actually just like us. They're also based in Minnesota, like us. That's actually it's actually how I know them, which I'll get into in a little bit as well. And they were named best invention, best invention of 2018 by Time Magazine. They've also been awarded government research grants from the National Institute of Health, National Science Foundation, among other awards they've had. So incredibly impressive. So welcome, Anelia. I wanted to have you on the podcast since your company is similar to us in many ways. You're also bootstrapped. You're based in Minnesota. You do hardware and software. You did the Minnesota Cup like us. So I thought it'd be a lot of fun to have you come on and compare and contrast our experiences because there's not a lot of companies out there like us, small companies doing hardware. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty unique. I don't know, maybe crazy. We can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Both of those things. I'm really glad to be here, Matt. You know, I've been following your company since probably since Minnesota Cup. I think that's probably when your Minnesota Cup win is when yeah. we obviously were heard about your company and, and maybe even before being in the Twin Cities startup scene. But yeah, exactly that. I think we're definitely back at summer camp. Someone used to call me a strange bird. <laughs> and so we're definitely the strange birds of the startup scene here in the Twin Cities. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's also what makes it fun though. I, love, yep. I like being a strange bird. Exactly. Me too. <laughs> it's more life is more interesting that way <laughs> for sure for sure and i actually did i first meet you before the minnesota cup well i'll get into that story in, in, in a little bit but first how about why don't you give us some background on your company what you all do and yeah how you got started with it yeah so our company is called habit aware and we do make a smart bracelet that essentially does just that it makes you aware of subconscious unwanted behaviors that are rooted in mental health compulsions. So the logic behind it is our restless minds lead to restless hands in the form of hair pulling, skin picking, and nail biting. Hair pulling is also known, medically known as trichotillomania, and it's a condition I've suffered from since childhood. And I hid it for more than 20 years because I thought I was wrong and stupid and ugly and you know, had no self-control because I was pulling out my eyebrows and my eyelashes as a coping mechanism for the sh bullying and the school stress and the stress of watching my father be sick with cancer when I was in high school. So not knowing that it was a mental health condition back then and thinking that it was me and there was something wrong with me. And then a couple of years ago, after moving to Minnesota, Minneapolis, my husband caught me without eyebrows. It was a bad pull session the night before and I was going into the bathroom to get my black eye pencil, which was my trusty sidekick in concealing this behavior. And he bumped into me and just said, where are your eyebrows? And that was the moment where I shared the secret. And then in the coming weeks, we're sitting on the couch and I'm pulling and he gently grabs my hand. And that was that aha moment of, oh, if I just had something that made me aware that this behavior was happening, you know, could I take control? And so, we managed to meet folks in the Twin Cities startup community to help us build something. It kind of worked and we just kept pushing until we were able to get to market to help people in this body focused, repetitive behavior, mental health community. 
So it kind of happened pretty organically in the sense of starting a company. But in, in fact, at the time that Habitware happened, I was working on a different business idea. Oh, really? Okay. I never knew that part of the story. Yeah. Okay. That, you know, then kind of just went by the wayside because the Habitware doors just kept opening. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's an incredible story. And I remember confession here to make. I remember first meeting, I can't remember this was before we won the Minnesota Cup. Oh, and I should, I should add to those that aren't in the Minnesota startup scene what the Minnesota Cup is. It's a really big business plan competition here in Minnesota, probably one of the, maybe the premier business plan competition. And, and winning that is a really big deal because there's some really strong competition and it's mm -hmm. a great way to get tapped into the community. It was for us and huge, huge for us. It's kind of the Minnesota Cup. I think it's actually the largest statewide competition yes, in the country, yes is. which is really, really phenomenal. And it is, yeah, I think it's kind of one of the clues of the ecosystem, if you will. It's where everyone shows up, tons of companies go through the process and build community, build their network. And it's been incredible to be part of that process and part of the kind of the, the winning family, if you will, to see all the other companies that have gone through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if anybody in Minnesota is listening to this, that's thinking about doing the Minnesota Cup, absolutely, you should do it. Mm -hmm. But back to my confession. So I remember meeting at an event and we were actually meeting, oh, I'm blanking on his name right now, former senator here in Minnesota. Yes. Al Franken. Al Franken. Thank you. That was yes. at Coco. That was or at Coco. So, yeah. 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 Which is a co-working space here. And we met for the first time and I remember asking you, what your company did. And you told me, and I went, holy shit, in my mind, I don't remember what I actually said to you. I do remember I'd offered to test the device because I was like, holy shit, I didn't even know this is a condition and I do this too. Like when I get stressed, I pull up my eyebrows. I do the same thing. And I had no idea that it was actually a thing. So that was like the totally eye-opening for me as well because and I know that has been with your company as well, like one of the goals of like educating people about about these conditions as well, because so many people don't know about it. Yeah, that's a huge hump for us to get over, a huge challenge of just yeah. education and knowledge and, you know, parents seeing it in their kids and saying, oh, it's not your child, it's a thing. Like there's, and there's hope and there's, you know, recovery is possible. But then also even, you know, when someone like in my 20s, when I found out it was a mental health condition, like it was the early 2000s. We don't, we didn't talk about mental health the way we talk about it today. And so it was kind of a blow. It was kind of like a setback because it was like, oh, you know, like that was a heavy weight. Now I think there's a little bit more healthy connotation around the ideas of mental health so that once people say, see that, oh, that, you know, your nail biting could be a mental health related concern, there's less stigma around it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there's the usual thing like, why don't you just stop? And it's like, well, often you don't even know you're doing it. You get stressed, start to like, I'll pick up my eyebrows if I get stressed. Don't even know. It's very much rooted in the subconscious when people say, oh, my parents just tell me to stop because we do peer coaching and some of that sort of, and even on our Instagram and things where we try to share knowledge. But when people say, oh, just stop, like my response is, okay, just stop your heart from pumping blood. It's the same subconscious brain that's in charge of these things. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a keen bracelet as well. Wear it from time to time. Not all the time, because only I need it sometimes, and then it like mm -hmm. kicks me out of the habit. And yeah. 
yeah, it's been great. But that's my own like connection connection to this as well. Not only the overlapping a startup experience, but that as well. So anyway, back to getting started. So when you were getting started, I mean, it was you and your husband, right, that founded the company? We're four co-founders. So it's... Oh, you're four co-founders. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So it's myself and Samir, and then John and Kirk are on the hardware and the software firmware side. Oh, okay. I didn't realize they were yeah. also co-founders. Yep. Yeah. So the four of us together, you know, we couldn't have done it without them. And we started, like the early days was me and Samir going to Radio Shack, with, which no longer exists, and buying soldering irons, and him trying to learn how to code win Python, and trying, <laughs> like us trying to build right. this, yeah. you know, in between our, while our newborn was napping, right? It was just not happening. It was, we needed, we needed a team, right? We understood business side, and my personally, my side is marketing and communications. And so we turned to the Minneapolis startup community, friends that, I had met at Coco, which is now Fuel Collective, which is a co-working space here. And, you know, I had to share my startup secret and my hair pulling secret with people to explain what we wanted to build and to ask them if they knew anyone. And through those conversations, we were put on to an IoT Hack Day event. So that's a meetup group that put on a Hack Day weekend. And that's where we met John, our lead hardware engineer. And we met Kirk on Twitter. He was tweeting about a product that Samir and I were looking at as maybe like a prototyping tool. And Kirk tweeted about just receiving the demo, you know, the their, the prototype unit. And, and then I looked in the corner and it was Hopkins, Minnesota. And I was like, maybe he'll come to the hackathon and yeah. hack with us. Yeah, that's and, awesome. and so that's how we got started. It was very much like the, all four of us, I think, have the same ethos of hacker maker just want to build stuff. Oh, that's totally us. Well, that's where the name of this podcast even comes from. <laughs> building Astropad. <laughs> it's all about building. Yep. Just like, you know, trying to put our creative efforts forward. And so it very much was that vibe of like nights and weekends, just hacking and making and seeing if things would work. And, you know, the prototypes were kind of working. We were gelling together as a team and we just kind of kept pushing and just small doors kept opening until big doors kept opening. And now it's, you know, a five or so year old company and we're helping tens of thousands of people around the world in 70 plus countries. That's pretty incredible. So it started out nights and weekends. How long were you in that phase? So that phase took probably, I want to say, and the years kind of mushed together, but I want to say we kind of got started in earnest and like we kind of got started in like 2014-ish. The idea came to us, The that whole like aha moment stuff happened around the birth of my first child. So that was in 2013. 2015 is when we kind of met John and Kirk and started working on it more in earnest, nights and weekends, coffee shops right near our apartment. And then in 2016, January 2016, we got into Hacks, which is a hardware accelerator program, and that is based in Shenzhen, China. And so it's a three-month program. That was kind of the, hopefully it's okay if I curse, the shit or get off the pot. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a real turning point. Yeah, it was, the, it was the turning yeah. point. And Zach Suppola from Spark Devices, which is now called Particle, they had gone through that program. They're also a Minnesota 
based company. They started in Minnesota. I actually don't know where they are now. Yeah, they've got a heavy Silicon Valley presence now yeah. too. But I know they still have a lot of folks here in yeah. Minnesota. So, you know, he kind of was like, this is it. Like you either do it or you don't, you know, and kind of gave us the encouragement to go to the program because it was immensely helpful for them. And so that was it. 2016 is when we went full time and we quit our day jobs and we said, okay, let's give this a shot. How did you fund stuff in the just, I mean, even developing hardware can be really expensive. The tools, the prototypes, not to mention like hopefully paying yourself a little something. How'd you fund stuff in the early days? Yeah. So early days was kind of, you know, I think you mentioned bootstrapping. We've kind of funded the company with every method possible from our own investment, friends and family, angel investors, a few, you know, hacks as a VC and a few other small VC, small VCs like Arlen Hamilton from Backstage Capital, and then research grants and then competitions like Minnesota Cup. So in the very beginning, we weren't paying ourselves, right? Like those nights and weekends were really just us hacking and making, building for fun and seeing where it went. And it was really kind of like the 2015, 2016 time period when hacks, this investor was coming in and we had taken some angel money, angel investment at the time as well, who are now also advisors from the healthcare space. And that's sort of when we started formalizing things. And that's when we started paying ourselves. I think I actually don't even remember. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was probably still very, very minor, you know, salaries at that point. That's incredibly scrappy. Like it was every method. You're not joking when you say like every method. Every method, right? Everything that we can get our, you know, and the grants have been, I think, the most of that balance. And I think that's just a testament to the work that we're doing in the space of mental health and the need that the NIH and the National Science Foundation see and the kind of innovation that they see in the work that we're doing. Is there anyone else out there doing similar work with hardware and software for these kind of mental health conditions or anybody that's popped up since you started? Yeah. So... I don't know if you've ever read the book Big Magic, but it's by Elizabeth. No, I haven't. Okay, so it's by Elizabeth Gilbert. It's probably more on the touchy-feely side of things, but for me, it's also a really good business book if you look at it from that lens. Just of One of the things she premises in the book is this idea of the universe plants seeds in a lot of different places to kind of hedge that it'll come to fruition. And so, yes, there have been other folks kind of either, you know, starting somewhere and seeing what we're doing and saying, oh, that's, you know, and kind of pivoting to our space. It's always kind of been in that way where, you know, we started with that personal pain point and, you know, that aha moment and in service of the BFRB community and a few of the other companies that have kind of come and gone in the space have started from somewhere else, seen what we're doing and tried to pivot into the space and, I think our strength lies in that personal experience that we have, not just in suffering from the condition, but in building community even before being, you know, a product to purchase, if you will. And that's just that community aspect and, and then the relationships we've had with doctors and, and therapists and treatment professionals. And so that's sort of the ethos that we live by is that, yeah, you know, things are going to crop up and competition is good because it proves the market and it keeps us on our toes to continuously improve. 
I totally agree with that too. The I'll have to check out that book. I actually haven't heard of that book before. That the universe plants seeds. Uh, like I've talked about it as like there's something in the air. Mm-hmm. Multiple people pick up on it, and at the same time, I mean, the same thing has happened yeah. with us. And yeah. you know, if you even if you look back in history at like great discoveries, you know, they're often discovered by multiple people at around the same time. Yeah, yeah. The conditions are just right for that to happen. Exactly. Like for us, you know, even in our own story, once we kind of came up with the idea, we started researching to see, okay, this has to be out there. And we did find research work from a clinical psychologist that had come up with an idea of a device to build awareness, to like raise awareness. It was a two-piece device, so it was pretty clunky. And then the more we kept digging, the more we realized he had passed away a few years earlier. So, Uh, and, you know, so it was kind of like, okay, we're picking up that. Yeah, passing the torch. Passing the torch. And also it gave time for technology to be where, you know, it could be on a small device instead of two clunky pieces of a giant necklace and, you know, giant, right, where the chips and stuff are small enough now that you can comfortably wear these things. And did you look at options other than building your own hardware before you jumped in into doing hardware? Like why hardware? So great question. I think when we started in 2014, there was Fitbit. There was nothing else. There was no uh, other. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. The yeah. Apple watch came out in 2015, right when we were starting. I mean, you know, around the same time that we were kind of starting, but didn't have everything we needed to do to power what we needed to accomplish. So hardware, the whole premise is if you can build awareness of your hands. So you train the device for your specific behavior. So right now I'm kind of rubbing my fingers across my eyebrows because that's sort of how I start. And then I'll go for the pull. And then I would train that behavior onto the bracelet. It kind of creates a calculation and is then just looking for that calculation and saying, oh, that looks similar, I'm going to vibrate and bring you into awareness. And then the insight there is that with awareness, you can break the behavior loop. With awareness, with that vibrational cue, you can pause and say, what do I need right now? Because ultimately these are just cues that our subconscious is in a state of mental distress, mental you know discomfort, and actually choose a healthier soothing mechanism. And the more you do that, that ritual of choosing a healthier mechanism in the moment, the more that becomes the go-to. And the more you show your subconscious, I'm taking care of you so that your brain stays quiet in a sense. And so it had to be hardware because this, you know, something on the phone wouldn't have really known that you're engaging in the behavior. Now, as these smartwatches are becoming more like open and have more power to them, you know, there's opportunities there. But four years ago, five years ago, it had to be our own custom hardware solution. Yeah, the only way. And that's similar to our own hardware story too, where it was the only way to do what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. For us, a totally different domain space, right? Like we were working with a lot of illustrators, a lot of creative professionals, and they were asking for a second display support on their iPad. And the only way we could reliably do that was through hardware. So we had to go down that path. So similar, you know, you have a goal in mind and software alone, there's, you know, the devices out there can't do it. So yep. yeah, went to hardware. Yeah. And now the devices can do it all. 
<laughs> yeah, and the devices know, for some do. Of it, be, right? Some of yeah, it. Yeah, and it's the same for us. Is like devices become more capable over time, but you can always do by having your own hardware. You can always do custom stuff that the devices, yeah. that the kind of generic devices can't. Even if there's multiple ways to ways to do it. And the way we see it is, our devices, you know, buzz and vibrate and try to get our attention all day long in so many different ways that a single purpose device helps you focus, right? I am putting this on every morning because I want to take control of this behavior. And I know that it's vibrating only when my hand is engaging in that behavior that I trained for, you know, with some leeway for some false alarms here and there. But that idea of the psychology around this is for me, I'm taking care of me. And that vibration is my hug on the wrist. Whereas the vibration oh, I like from that. the- I like that, hug on a wrist. I that, like that. That gentle reminder. Whereas, you know, otherwise your Apple watch or your, or your Samsung smartwatch or whatever is gonna go off, you know, to stand up, to you have a meeting, you have a phone call, you've got an email, you got a text message, you got a Twitter mention, and it's just, you start getting dull to all those vibrations, to all those notifications. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That makes that makes so much sense. And also with the focus you have on it as well, with the hardware, and then even your competitors too that maybe have pivoted away from something else. You know, you've began in the space, so that stands for a lot. I imagine when a customer is looking to purchase, they're like, "Oh, they're been focused from the beginning on the on the BFRB, body focus repetitive behavior." space. Yeah. That positioning is huge. Exactly. And understanding it's not just awareness. Awareness is that first step. And so coaching you through the process and building out with Keen 2 a beefier mobile app that guides you through this lasting behavior change with a lot of other, what the medical professionals call is psychoeducation. So like trying to help you understand what these behaviors are and trying to get you, keep you motivated and even deliver some digitized versions of the gold standards of care that you would get in a clinical setting. So, you know, it allows us to create this ecosystem so that you're getting that real-time care that you need. And then you can integrate that with a treatment professional to help you with sort of the, what is the cause of that mental, dis, you know, discomfort and work through some of those things. Yeah. So how is the journey today? What's the latest with the business? How are things? Yeah. So things have been really, really up and down, I think, just like for everyone. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. Anybody that's followed this podcast for a while too knows that we've also had a lot of up and downs. Kind of, kind of name, kind of the name of the game, though. Yep, it's the name of the game. It's the name of entrepreneurship. I think you get into it knowing that there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days, and there's going to be like nothing happening days. <laughs> sure. Which, which after a while, <laughs> feel like good days when yeah. you had a bunch of bad days. Like, oh, yeah. I'll take, I'll take I will nothing, take and nothing happening. Right but yeah, I mean, you know, COVID brought to light the need for mental healthiness. I think COVID has changed the conversation around mental health. Folks that didn't believe in mental health disorders and, you know, kind of had the mentality of, oh, just buck up, just suck it up, whatever, I think probably experienced anxiety, experienced depression, experienced what it is to not feel right inside your mind. And so that was a win for us in a sense, because people understood what we were doing finally. And 
even, you know, we saw a huge uptick in the behaviors. Like we could see from the app, a back end, that people were pulling their bracelets out of their drawers because life was so questionable in 2020 of like, what's going to happen? There was no end in sight. There was no, you know, no visibility. And I think anxiety and stress and, you know, having to work from home and manage kids at home, going to school and, you know, not being able to leave the house except for groceries. I think all of that played a role in a rise of the behaviors of hair pulling, skin picking, nail biting as a mechanism to cope with the anxiety and the stress of it all. And so it was probably people with those conditions, but also new people. So we saw a big increase in interest in Inhabitor during that time. During that time, we were also trying to release Keen 2, which is the new product that came of our NIH phase one research grant. And again, like COVID rocked us in the production process because our, having gone to hacks, all of our manufacturing and relationships are in China and they were closed. You know, they took a really long, normally they take a Chinese New Year, which is a few weeks long, and then they extended that and it just kind of domino affected our ability to source materials and to produce the product. And where were you in the development of it? Were you close to the end, in the middle? Like, we how were, far along were you? Yeah, we had like started taking pre-orders and then COVID hit. And then, you know, we had said we would deliver in early in 2020. I think this is correct. My brain cannot handle dates. Uh, I think this is pretty much <laughs> yeah, correct. I, I, yeah, we'll go with it. I, I, Let's I go with it. I, I, or maybe yeah. it was 2021. My gosh, my brain cannot... Yeah, COVID's gone on for far too long. So it's a blur to me it's as well. It's a blur. It's a blur. 2020 feels like two days and 20 years at the same exact time. So we won't go, I won't give years, but basically what happened was, you know, we started for pre-orders and then honestly, whether it was COVID related in 2020 or 2021, it's the same issue of they had to shut down. They had to shut down for either COVID cases or, you know, kind of these lockdown situations. And even now, just most recently, the energy crisis that's happening in China, our factories were getting shut at the whim of, you know, the city minister is saying, just at random, right? Like on a Monday morning, they'll get a notice saying, nope, your factory is closed. And it's like, ah, but we're waiting. And we, you know, and it's, there's nothing you can do. You just have to I think that's one of the things I've learned in learning to control and deal with my mental health anguish is this idea of, I can't control it. All I can do is acknowledge that it exists and know that it'll come when it comes. So, you know, in terms of COVID and the hardships we've had to deal with, it's just been just these fits and spurts of being able to start and stop the production process. And it just slows it down. And, you know, I don't even know all the details of you know, how they've managed themselves as a factory and as a team and the morale and all of that, right? Like people may have, you know, we see the great resignation happening here in the U.S. I don't know what's happening in other countries. And are they also, are people also not returning from their villages after holidays and stuff, which means you have less employees. And so there's so many different things that are happening right now that I've finally just said, you know what? When our product gets here, 
we will ship it to you <laughs> and we will support you on your journey. But yeah, absolutely. Like the stuff on top of it, like the shipping logistics situation going on right now with containers being piled up at ports. Yeah, there's not a lot you can do, right? I mean, it's not like you can go down and unload the freight off the boat yourself, right? You can't fly to China and do something yourself. And I agree, it's very limited visibility. We also manufacture in China. It's very limited visibility what's been going on. We've also been hit hard by the chip crunch. I imagine you all have been as well with having to source chips has been difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All we can do is really rely on our contacts there and trust that they're doing the best they can. Yeah, that's it. Because we don't, as you said, we don't know what's going on in the ground there and we can't even travel there to check it out even if we wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. We even joked about what if we all went to China and like helped, <laughs> you know, it's not happening, but yeah. 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 Maybe, I don't know what the border situation is right now. If they've opened things up more to traveling to China, but for a long time, it was like very, very difficult to travel there. And you had to go through a two week quarantine and it was just like very, very impractical as they were dealing with waves of COVID. And so it's been extremely tough. Thankfully for us, we were really already had our designs nailed down. So we didn't really need to go there to iterate on designs. Sounds like that was similar for you as well. Yeah. Like yeah, you were already. Our production was starting and John was actually supposed to go, but then COVID hit. So then he couldn't, assuming I'm getting my timelines right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll run with it again. <laughs> but we'll go with that. I'm pretty sure yeah. I remember that, st- that happening. But yeah, our designs, you know, the PCB and all that stuff, luckily was in place. But even now, you know, with the sourcing issues and supply chain, like we're, we're ordering, trying to order like years out because we don't know, right? We, we just have to kind of hedge and guess and make these bets because we want to make sure that we do have product to serve our community down same, the road. Same thing we're dealing with, trying to secure chips for mm-hmm. future production, and it's unclear when that's going to arrive. It's not uncommon for us to get, oh, well, that'll be end of 2022, right? Thankfully, we've been able to keep finding chips, maybe not in the amounts we want, but we're able to find enough to keep things going. For people not familiar with the hardware and the electronics industry, how I've explained this to them is, remember the toilet paper crisis in the beginning of COVID where people were hoarding toilet paper and like everybody was freaking out, like, and this, the store shelves were stripped bare of toilet paper. And it became worse because then everybody was like, oh my gosh, like, I need to have some toilet paper on hand, so I'm going to buy a whole bunch of it and keep it in my basement. That's exactly what's happening with chips right now, except it's companies doing it. They're just hoarding huge amounts of chips. We're all doing it. We're all, We're all putting it. in big orders to try to, because this this supply chain crunch, we don't know when it's going to end. And so it's tough. It's going it's to tough impact out there. manufacturing for at least a few years. And yeah, I mean, to, and to your point, right, if all of these companies big and small are vying for the same amount of supply. Sad to say, but the big companies are probably going to get what they need because they have the relationships, they have supply chain managers on the ground, they have, you know, they own the factories, whatever it is. And so we will have to be, continue to be as scrappy as we need to be in order to serve the communities that we serve. Absolutely. Scrappy is key. The same, same for us. I mean, you put it well that 
the big companies are obviously going to secure, they're doing much larger orders as well than us Mm -hmm. as smaller companies. So it's a hard time to be a small hardware company out there. But if you can navigate it, you can do well because there's incredible demand out there. People need all sorts of, there's demand across the board, but especially as you're saying with the mental health, I guess I would call it a crisis going on with this pandemic continuing to drag and drag. Mm -hmm. It has gotten better, but still it's a very difficult situation out there. People need your devices. Yeah. I think our world is so focused on software solving all of the problems. And I just think that's a very narrow view. I personally think physical products still carry a lot of merit and a lot of weight in changing people's lives. And I'm happy to be on the road that we are in terms of hardware, even though it is extremely hard and painful. (laughs) It is. And it reminds me a lot of software development too, but just stretched out over a way longer period of time where you can get super rapid iteration in software and then hardware. It's same, same kind of development process, but just far, far longer. But then you need to deal with the, we're talking about the logistics, the sourcing components. It's fun though. It's fun. And it's cool to have the capability of hardware to be able to go beyond what just software alone yeah. can do. And to supplement it and to complement it and to really build an ecosystem, I think is important. Well, and the other thing that's really interesting, you've always sold hardware. So I don't know if you've seen this as much, but we've seen that folks are way more willing to pay for hardware than they are for software. With so much free stuff out there on the web, it can be a hard sell to get people to pay up for software. But this idea of a physical thing not only are they more willing to pay for it, they're willing to pay a lot more than they are for software. Yeah, and I'm starting to see that shift, but absolutely. I mean, when you start with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and like, you know, even your Gmail is all free, right? Like a lot of the apps we use daily are free software-based solutions. You get used to expecting things for free, (laughs) expecting software for free. But I do think that's changing, especially with hardware software complements, where you're paying for the hardware and then you're paying for the monthly service of the software, where I think folks are shifting to that model, like businesses are shifting to that model of maybe the hardware is priced at a a lower amount, but long term, you're paying for that software and you're kind of paying for the hardware through that process of paying for the software in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that business model is shifting. And I assume that people are on board with that because all these companies seem to be shifting to that method. And I guess finding, and, and you know, I think if you build the software where it's providing value, then people will pay for it because it's helping them change some corner of their life and improve, improve it. Yeah. And as a hardware business, that's really is the holy grail of business models. If you can, if you can pull it off, the combination of a hardware plus, plus a recurring software. Not easy to do, but if, as you said, if people are getting value from it and they're happy to pay for it, it can be, it can work really, really well. So if, you know, somebody else is listening to this and they want to get into the hardware, software space, maybe the, you know, the hardware, the combination of hardware and software and want to build their own hardware, what would you recommend? Where should they start? How do you get going? Yeah, great question. I think first is, you know, kind of do a a SWOT analysis of the idea and sort of 
problem solution, talk with customers, talk with potential customers, ask them to just like tell you stories so that you can try to gut check the hypothesis of the thing that you want to build. And then in terms of, you know, your weaknesses, try to identify those gaps so that you can build a team to help you build what you need to build. So like, you know, if you don't know hardware, (laughs) make sure you have someone that has that electrical engineering or, you know, manufacturing background that can help you build, physically build it, right? It's one thing to have the idea, but how do you get it to market sort of? So I would say, first and foremost, gut check your hypothesis with people that are going to be your tribe. And then gut check sort of your ability to build it. And if you can't do it on your own, start building relationships in your community, And by community, that could be your local community, it could be your online community, because now we're also used to commuting, if you will, virtually in online spaces and collaborating to build it and to prototype and to try to just get a few made, you know, hand make it, you can 3D print stuff. There's lots of ways to hack getting those first few prototypes and put them in the hands of some of those friendlies that you spoke with at the beginning that did validate your hypothesis a little bit and see what they think. and then. Just keep kind of going from there. That's sort of how we did it in terms of, you know, all those doors kind of kept opening. They kept opening because we kind of kept pushing for them to open <laughs> in that way. Yeah, got to be got to be relentless. Got to be mm-hmm. relentless and keep pushing. That's for sure. What's next for HabitAware? So up next is we have a lot of things kind of brewing behind the scenes, but really taking what we've built with Keen2 and the mobile app platform and working to kind of work with treatment professionals to build out what they would need to serve the community as well as how we can adapt this technology and this insight of awareness is the key to that behavior change loop to serve new markets, to serve new communities for which that are, that are, you know, much like people in the BFRB community, pretty underserved by traditional healthcare or any, you know, any other kind of services out there. And so that's sort of our next goal is how can we, you know, take what we built and leverage it to grow the company, to grow our ability to help people. And do you think that's something you'll be able to do with the current hardware or is that like new hardware in your mind? So that's, again, you know, kind of like I just said with your question of I have an idea, it's kind of going back to the to the drawing board a little bit. It may be the same system that we've built, but I think it really goes back to understanding the community, their problem, and seeing what solution they need that will bring them that awareness and that system for behavior change. And yeah, if it's something that's a risk-based movement, then our current system can do that, right? But not not everything that we're looking at is in that realm. So it could potentially be new hardware or software, depending on the problem in the community need. Yeah. Well, I'll be curious to see see what y'all cook up next then. <laughs> Me too. That, sound, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> sounds so, pretty cool. On building a lot something of, new. Building some new stuff. We're still a small team, so it's kind of like push this rock forward a little bit and then push this rock forward a little bit and then, oh, there's a fire. Let's go put that out. And then, you know, coming back. So everything takes time. It's a little slow going, but we're hoping now with some capital infusions that we can 
build out the team a little bit to move a little faster. Yeah. And we're still trying to figure that out too, where we've got multiple products out and it's still, now we're on multiple platforms too, which is a huge deal for us. Huge, huge deal. That's awesome. But figuring out how do you how do you push all those boulders forward, you know, multiple products across multiple platforms. Yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's absolutely how we grow as a company as well. Yeah, doing, yeah. Doing more. Just, you know, more ideas, taking what users are saying, customers are saying, clinicians are saying, and trying to integrate or start fresh. Yeah. Any podcast or book recommendations for aspiring builders out there yeah i know you mentioned big magic i put that one down yep anything else or podcasts either Uh, yep so i don't really read a lot of business books (laughs) oh that's fine that's totally fine doesn't have to be business or much of anything my life is my work and my two children and i teach at minneapolis college of art and design I'm teaching creating and running a business. So I don't really have a lot of time to myself, but a lot of the, when I do take time for like books and podcasts, it's mostly in the spiritual realm. So I'm listening to a podcast right now called Gita Girl, which is a podcast about the Bhagavad Gita and trying to, and I'm also trying to read the Gita as well, trying to just get to a point of understanding what, life. I think a lot of people coming out of COVID or still maybe even living through COVID related stuff, trying to figure out what we're all here for. And, yeah. you know, and I think that's and a lot of the great resignation is about yeah. too, that you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And so trying to, and I think this is the question that I've grappled with my entire life of like, what am I here for? just knowing that I'm supposed to be here for something. And quite frankly, I think that I'm here for what we are building. Habit aware would not be here today. Like my belief is that my dad would not have died of cancer and I would not have gotten trichotillomania if not for this day. And if not for this reason, but still trying to understand what is life (laughs) and, you know, and trying to, especially from a mental health aspect too, of like, grappling with those ups and downs, like the highs are really high, the lows are really low, but the Gita says, you know, equilibrium, a high, you know, like, like staying steady, regardless of what's happening around us. And so that's what I'm looking at now is that's this kind of stuff that I'm into right now. And that I'm gravitating to from a book perspective and a podcast perspective. And I think it does transcend to business because it keeps you a little sane when all this stuff is going haywire around you. Oh, I totally agree. That's, I mean, incredibly powerful, you know, what you're sharing. I can see why, why you've been able to knock down all those doors along the way, right? With that kind of mission. And I totally agree too on the books. There's a lot of great stuff for business that can be learned from fiction too. I think it's great. Great inspiration. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very interested in the intersection of faith and entrepreneurship. And, you know, I mean, we have to turn to something to keep us going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So maybe one day I'll write a book about it. I don't know. No, that'd be that'd be great. Well, if people want to find out more about HabitAware or you, Anelia, where should they find you online? Yeah, you can find us at HabitAware.com and you can find... I'm behind most of our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I have a partner in crime there as well, a couple of partners in crime there as well. But all of our 
handles are at HabitAware for TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, did I miss one? Twitter. There might be some more out there, but that's really where you can find us. And you can always email me at anila at habitaware.com. If you have a question, I'm happy to help, happy to chat. I'm pretty, pretty findable. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. It's been great. It's been really awesome right. to get all that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look forward to seeing what you build next as well. We'll have to have you on in the future when you're working on your next big product. Oh, product that'll be coming. awesome. Yep. All right. Well, thank you.